0: Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me on Yoga Birth Babies. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm the founder and director here at Prenatal Yoga Center, and I'm so excited to be speaking with Michelle Kanarek today. So we're going to talk postpartum depression. It's a big, lengthy, meaty topic. And let me give you a little bit of background of who Michelle is. So Michelle Canrick is a licensed clinical psychologist and mother of two young children. As a psychotherapist and a mother, she empathizes with the experience of building a family and provides individual and group therapy to mothers, children, and adolescents through her private practice, NYC Mom Support on Manhattan's Upper West Side. Her approach is grounded in the concept of empathy and providing practical techniques to help individuals and families thrive. Dr. Canerick has made multiple appearances on Good Morning America and speaks to parents with children of all ages on topics ranging from sleep training to setting limits with social media. Her other experiences include Bellevue Hospital, the Holloway Center, the JCC of Manhattan, and the ethical cultural Fieldston School. And I'm so excited to have Michelle Canerick here. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane.
1: So is there I'm anything to, to add ahead.
0: to that of my little opening spiel about you?
1: No, I think you said a lot
0: about <laughs> who I am. <laughs> so for our listeners, I met Michelle a couple of years ago. She was leading a workshop. I think it was like Childproofing Your Marriage. That will be a whole nother podcast there. Um, and I really appreciated her approach. And when I thought about postpartum depression and I've seen it affect my friends, my students. I thought that I would turn to Michelle for some expert advice on this. So that's what we're going to dive into. So I guess let's first just open up with how would you describe postpartum depression?
1: So women who um, come to me and talk about postpartum depression, and I've seen lots of women both starting in their pregnancies and then after they've given birth, um, who have described it to me. And the way they talk about it is, Basically, they sort of feel like something has changed. Something has changed with them and the way they feel about themselves, the way they look at the world, and sort of the way they're feeling about their baby. Um, Postpartum depression can kind of come about any time within the first year of giving birth, after giving birth. So some women sort of experience it right away, and others kind of have a delayed reaction. Um, But basically what it looks like is a very tearful, very sad, Um, Very overwhelmed, guilt-ridden mommy um, who feels disconnected from others, including her partner, feels like she's not bonding with her baby, and may even be thinking at a very... Level, may even be thinking about hurting herself or hurting her baby. Um, sometimes people with postpartum depression talk about feeling irritable, angry, um, maybe even a little rage. Everything seems to annoy them. Um, and some women talk about feeling nothing, just kind of an emptiness and numbness. Um, the most important thing I should say actually is that women kind of experience any range of these symptoms. So some have all of these symptoms, some have one or two or three of these symptoms and postpartum depression is something that lasts consistently for two weeks or more. So it's not sort of a woman who has, um, sort of fleeting feelings of any of the things I just just noted, but someone who has these symptoms for a consistent amount of time. Um, another important part to postpartum depression, I should mention, is that most people after giving birth, most women after giving birth, have what I would call the baby blues, mm-hmm. which is at some point they have some symptoms of what I just mentioned, but at a much smaller on a much smaller scale, um, and that is pretty. Typical and pretty natural, um, and while it doesn't feel good and it could be quite uncomfortable and feel sort of overwhelming, it's something that women kind of go through and then they move past it. So that's it's where not- you would
0: differentiate, because I know that I mean having a new baby and such a huge change in life—that's overwhelming. Um, mm-hmm. and just the whole all of a sudden you're feeding, you're responsible. It's a huge challenge. So you would say because it could just be ebb and flow of feeling that, that would be more just baby blues adjustment postpartum
1: depressions when it's more elongated? Exactly. And also when it's the overwhelm, you know, I, I agree and I have two kids and I know that I felt incredibly overwhelmed. And just about everyone I know as a baby feels overwhelmed. Um, And it's not just that sort of typical overwhelm. It's more like, I can't do this. I'm never going to be able to do this. And maybe I shouldn't have done this at all to begin with. Um, So it moves to a different realm where it feels sort of hopeless. It feels like, out of control and where the where the woman feels hopeless, feels out of control and feels like maybe I made a giant mistake.
0: I hear that a lot as a teacher of women postpartum. I do hear that a lot. Mm. So what can she do? Do you think most women even recognize this or do you think it's the partner that recognizes this? Like is the mom so far in the rabbit hole? You know,
1: I think that most women feel like they know something is wrong. And they have a sense that something is off and that they don't feel like themselves and they don't necessarily know what it is. Um, some women just sort of say, I feel like I'm going crazy. Um, I feel like I can't get it together. I feel like all I do is cry. Um, so they don't necessarily have the words for it or even believe and even If they do know what postpartum depression is and do have the words for it, they don't necessarily connect that with themselves. Um, so it's often somebody else who comes in and says, What you're feeling is postpartum depression, and, you know, there is something that we can do about this. That might be their partner. That might be their mom. It might be a very close friend. It could be a sister. It could be a therapist. Um, But even if a woman sort of identifies something going on with themselves, they don't necessarily call it what it is. Mm -hmm. Also, many women who are experiencing postpartum depression have a fear of talking about it for, um, out of fear of being judged. They feel like they, you know, in our society, we're sort of thought, you know, we're all sort of striving to be the best mom we can be. Um, And sometimes that best mom looks like. In our fantasy, we have an image of kind of a perfect mom and women don't want to admit that they're not, that they're failing and they feel like they're failing. Postpartum depression is not a failure. It feels like a failure. Um, And they don't want to sort of come out and say that they're afraid of being judged. They're afraid of repercussions. I mean, some women go so far as to say they're afraid someone's going to take their baby from them. Mm -hmm. And even if they're not feeling bonded or connected to their baby, the last thing they want to do is lose their child. Um, and coming out and saying, I'm struggling is not an admission of failure. It doesn't mean that you're not doing it. Okay. That you're not a good mom. And it certainly doesn't mean you're going to lose your child, but people do have that anxiety. Well, there's a lot of
0: stigma around it. I feel like it's gotten a little less, um, in the 15 years I've been doing this, but there is a stigma around it. I remember one time, um, a very close friend of mine. This is the first time I really saw postpartum depression, very face to face, She'd had a lot of depression in the past, and then she went off medication during her pregnancy. And then when she had her baby, I started to see her really spiral. Um, and I was seeing her because our two kids are pretty cl- our two young, my youngest and her oldest are really close in age. So while I was with my daughter Sage, her new child was there. And I saw her almost every day, and I could see what was going on. And she was really hesitant to go on back on medication because of breastfeeding and then she and I sat down. I was about to go to her husband. and have a talk about this, but her biggest concern when we finally talked, one realization was that she realized that she was not present and, and attaching to her son. And she was afraid to go on medication because of breastfeeding. But then she realized I'd be a better mom on medication. Than I would off medication and she did go back on and it really, it took a couple of weeks, but it really it was like literally a cloud or like a metal curtain lifted off of her. Yeah. Do you, is there something, I mean, that's one thing about seeing it, but, um, do you hear that from women that's breastfeeding the concern about combining medication and breastfeeding?
1: Yeah. Well, first I want to just say that, um, you know, you were a really great friend to her. And the fact that she could talk to you about what she was feeling without sort of experiencing that stigma, I'm sure was really comforting to her. So for mom, moms out there listening or women out there listening, you know, you can be a support to a friend. And if you see something, say something, um, you know, like Deb did. In terms of breastfeeding, there are medications out there that are that are shown to be safe for women to use while they are breastfeeding. And yes, I absolutely think that there are many mamas out there who, once they start medication, even those who are doing the other things that I would say would be helpful, like seeking therapy, going to mom's groups, talking to other people about it, um, that once they start medication, they really see a lift in their mood and an ability to function as a caregiver for their child in a way that they want to be, like in a connected way. So it's not that they weren't necessarily taking good care of their baby, but they're not necessarily doing it in the way that they want to do it. Um, and medication can help them to do that.
0: That's like what I my friends. Yeah, she exactly. was taking care of her son very well, almost to a, a, right. a manic point. Like yeah. everything was organized and written and, um, she was really on top of it, but there was a manicness behind it and an unsettled. Mm-hmm. And it was just so interesting really seeing the shift between my eyes, you know, right between in front of my eyes. I've had a lot of students come to me, but I've never been that one on one with what's going on. So, yeah. and it was, I was sad for her and I was scared for her, but she, yeah. she did pull out of it.
1: Actually, you bring up some things that I didn't mention when I was talking about what postpartum looks like, Mm -hmm. and that is that postpartum also can look like anxiety, Um, and I think that's sort of what you're describing about your friend, and it doesn't necessarily look like, and it could Um, these things could last, could go together. Depression and anxiety could go together. So you might have mixing of these symptoms, but it doesn't always look like that sad forlorn woman who's kind of sitting on the couch and can't get up. Sometimes it might look like sort of, as you said, a, a kind of woman with a manic energy around her in that she can't sit still. She can't relax. She needs to always be doing something, doing something for her baby. She might be checking and rechecking things. She might be experiencing intrusive thoughts that are scary and disturbing to her that don't seem like anything she's ever thought before. Um, It might look like a constant and consistent worry about your baby that isn't Being validated by the other people around you, like your pediatrician or your partner, um, where you are doing the things you need to do to take care of your child and they are safe, but you're feeling like a constant anxiety and worry that things are, that your baby is not safe, um, and both of these, both the anxiety and depressive kind of symptoms, could also include changes to your eating and your sleep that aren't typical. I mean, everyone has changes to their eating and sleep after they have a baby. Um, you know, a no, lack, of <laughs> lack of sleep, lack sleep, lack of eating, um, no time to do either of those things. Um, but. Like some women sort of experience, like even when they do have a time to sleep, they can't fall asleep. Mm -hmm. Or all they want to do is sleep and all they're doing is sleeping. Or eating, they can't eat, they can't even think about food, they have no appetite. Or the opposite, the only thing that makes them feel better is eating. So those kinds of things might be going on as well. So I think that I I know for me... um, particularly after my second child was born, I would say that I experienced the baby blues to a little bit of an extreme. And for me, it manifested much more in anxiety than it did in depression or what looked like depression. Um, I had a log of every time my child ate um, and it wasn't like you know, everyone, I, I know lots of moms who keep logs, but it was, it was very detailed. Um, you know, I was constantly making sure I was doing exactly what I needed for both of my kids and to a point where I wasn't accepting help and I was kind of trying to do it all on my own. Um, and I, if I, if looking if I could get outside myself and look inside myself at that time, um, if I could say to myself then, you know, I didn't have to do all that. It was, you know, there was something else going on that was beyond just trying to be a good mom. So
0: as a psychologist who treats people for this and you had some of this yourself, did you recognize what was going on? Or were you so in it that you couldn't really see that you were experiencing that?
1: A little of both. Um, You know, actually I had a babysitter who, um, was coming to my house and I, I knew enough to ask her to come more frequently. Um, but she was a um, this amazing woman who had four kids of her own. She was a, a little older than me and had kind of been doing this for a while. And what she said to me at some point was she looked at me and she said, Michelle, the tears are not going to help. And while that's not an intervention that I would ever use, um, it's not a you know, it's sort of harsh, it actually shook me in a way that I needed to be shaken, um, and helped me to sort of get outside myself a little bit, and kind of, you know, find the people that I needed to help me get through my day, also kind of get outside my own head, and realize that I needed to be there for my kids, and I needed to be there in a way I wanted to be there, and I needed to find a way to do it. Um, so a little of both, I think that a little that I could have I could find and see inside myself that said, okay, you know, what what am I going to do about this? And also had some people who kind of looked at me and said, what can I do to help? And here's some of the things I can offer.
0: It is Ryan here. And I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? At LuckyLandSlots.com, available to players in the U.S. excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Do you think it's mainly really partners that see this, or they're so overwhelmed because it's new for the partners, well, or often more like a mom, or a friend, or a, or a sibling.
1: Honestly, I think we could do a whole nother podcast on partners, mental health after babies are born. Um, <laughs> and I think we will. Okay. <laughs> big topic. And actually I've been getting much more interested in this. Um, and wanting to help, wanting to support partners because I feel like when I started on mom support, I felt like who do moms talk to? And that was my motivation behind that. And now I'm sort of like, who do partners talk to? Because, mm-hmm. They really, there is really a paucity for them of people to discuss this with. So I think that partners find themselves in a really tricky spot, um, because they see a change in their, in their, in the person that they love and they don't want to be critical. They don't want to be judgmental. They also want to be supportive and they're not quite sure what to do and what that looks like. Um, so sometimes they, dig their head in what looks like they dig their head in the sand as a way to sort of Hide, it's not hide. It, it's like a way to protect themselves and their relationship mm-hmm. from what they believe would be the consequences of saying, Hey, I think this isn't okay and I think we need some help here. Um, you know, they really don't want to be critical. Um, they also sort of describe when I have talked to them, you know, they, they feel like they want to jump in and do things for the baby, but they don't want to be stepping on toes, they don't want to hurt their partner's feelings, so they're kind of stuck and they don't know what to do. Um, so yeah, I do think they see something, they get it. Um, I think that sometimes they have a hard time articulating it themselves and a hard time believing it. Yeah. That's okay. yeah. I do
0: think we will do a whole nother podcast on, you know, baby proofing your marriage and how the partner can be involved. Cause that's huge. And I even see that with births, you know, when I was um, an active doula, the partner would want to be involved, but they didn't always know how. I yeah. always have the skill set to do so.
1: I think for partners, you know, if I had to sort of give them some tips, some advice, it's like if you see something, say something, be present, be supportive, um, jump in and offer help. Don't wait to be asked. And if you see a new mom crying a lot, experiencing tons of anxiety, worrying about things in a way that seems extreme, disconnected from you or disconnected from your baby, talk to her um, call, you know, if you need to, um, call her doctor, her OB, call the midwife and sort of ask questions. Like, this is what I'm seeing. Does this seem out of the ordinary? What can I be doing? How can I be helpful as a therapist? I've actually had partners call me and say, um, I I just want to make sure you know that this is happening. And are you aware, and what can I do? I've had lots of conversations with partners on the phone, in my office, to sort of say, "Um, this is what I'm seeing, what are you seeing, and we can put our heads together. I know that OBs, midwives, they would be receptive to that from the partner. Um, But if you're not sure, find help yourself um, so that you can be the most supportive you can be.
0: Like support groups or a therapist I know one of my friends said, and I actually had this, my pediatrician during the, you know, because in the beginning you're at the pediatrician so often, exactly. <laughs> uh, my pediatrician would check in with me a lot, you know, and- in conversation, you know, how's it going? Are you getting out? Are you eating? And it seemed the way she interwove those questions, it didn't feel like she was probing, but being away from her now, I could see she was just trying to feel out, you know, are you okay? Kind of just checking my mood, which I appreciate.
1: Yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's caring for, you know, caring for the caregiver, right? So it's not, it's not just the doctor's job to take care of the baby. It's also the doctor's job to make sure the baby's in a um, supportive and safe and nurturing environment and that the mommy's okay. So I think that's awesome.
0: I want to touch back on something you were saying a little earlier about the society's view of the mom and kind of the super mom and I get in my mind, like the, the Amy Cuddy, um, I don't know if you know her, she does all about the super stance. So I think like superwoman stance. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and I'm totally guilty of this, trying to do a little bit too much and trying to be the perfect mom that I'm balancing work and motherhood and being a partner. Do you think there's also just some basic burnout that's happening and a lack of patience with oneself, or, and that can also add to the depression? Or do you think those are just two different things? Like there's postpartum depression, and then there's burnout and fatigue and loss of patience.
1: Well, I think that actually you ask a number of really good questions there. Um, First of all, and you and I discussed this before we, you know, before we started the podcast, that what so far what we've been talking about is sort of like a real sort of clinical postpartum depression, mm-hmm. and I think that all mental health all all mental health issues sort of occur in a continuum um, where it's not just that you know somebody has real extreme symptoms or meets, you know, criterion for a depressed state. Um, It's, there's also people who just are sort of experiencing what you're describing now, Um, irritability, frustration, overwhelm, guilt, um, sad, some sadness, some fear of losing who they once were, some anxiety about who their kid is and if their kid is okay. Um, And while all of that I think all moms experience some of that. There, again, it occurs on a continuum. So I think we're talking about both the people who occur on an extreme of the continuum who really need some help and support um, and maybe some medication. And then there's the people who are just sort of living as a mom and are experiencing some of this or all of this and at a different level. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I do think that just that our culture contributes to that. Um, I think we are all trying really hard to do our best. Um, and I think we forget to have compassion for ourselves as women, as mothers. Um, you know, I ask moms all the time in my office, can you have compassion for yourself? I often say to a mom, I often say this, if, somebody else was sitting with you and they were say if your best friend was sitting with you and saying all of what you just said, would you be judging them or would you be, have, would you have compassion for them? And they almost always say, Oh, I would have empathy. I would have compassion. I would feel for them. I would never judge them. And then, and then they say, well, then why are you judging yourself? Um, we are our worst critics. We are very judgmental of ourselves. And you know, our culture is set up that we are supposed to do everything. And um, we are chasing an illusion of perfection and it's really damaging, I
0: think. Yeah, that, that's brilliant. We are chasing an illusion of perfection. And I, I feel like it's taking me a bit, but trying to let go of that perfection is not easy. Yeah. I remember you and I having a conversation about that um, over coffee one time. Like, if we could do it, could we let it go? I don't know. I think personally, I'm a bit of a control freak. So, as much as I'd want to let it go, <laughs> I don't hey. know if I have the capacity to do so. But it's hard. It's hard to juggle it all. It's hard to have, I find it hard to have compassion for myself. Um, and I know other mothers do too. I do think there's, you know, a perfect mom, someone that can do it all, um, and still manage their life and still appear totally fine. It's really challenging.
1: Yeah. I, I just think that we're all humans. And, you know, I feel like a lot of the baby books that we read and the blogs that we read sort of perpetuate the myth of this perfection. Um, in that, and even the, and I love some of the baby books, but even the best of them, I think, sort of talk about babies like they're little robots and that they could be programmed. And that makes us as moms become sort of. Objects, you know, we kind of objectify ourselves as people, as things that can make that happen. You know, that we can program these little babies to sleep when they should sleep and to eat when they should eat and to smile when they should smile and say their name when they should say their name. And we believe that. And the truth is that babies are people, too. And they have their they they have their temperament. They have their rhythms. And we can to do our best to sort of facilitate sleep and facilitate eating and, you know, help them to be the best little people they can be. Um, but they also are people and we can't make them do what, you know, what we want them to do when we want them to do it because the book says that we should be able to. And that doesn't make us bad moms. Um, you right. know, that doesn't make us imperfect or a failure or whatever. It just makes us humans and them humans. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I think that's important because I do think there's pressure. You know, we go to a restaurant and my kids are not always acting the best and I feel judged and like I'm an inadequate, bad mom, but yet you're right. they are little people with (laughs) with some strong opinions.
1: Well, and I think so, you know, what you're talking about is like a mind read, right? Like you're sitting in the restaurant and you're reading everyone's mind and thinking they all think that you're a bad mom, right? <laughs> like you're feeling judged. And a mind read comes from projection, like something that we're kind of worried about in ourselves. Perception, like maybe you're picking up on something or a combination of both. And I think that we are doing it. It's like. That's kind of what we're living. We are living that projection that we believe that we're not as good as we should be. The perception we are, are picking up on something because our village has become very judgmental. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a real problem. That's a real thing where we have these mommy wars and people are fighting and and people are judging. That's not in our head entirely. Um, So we're both projecting what we are worst that we believe about ourselves and picking up something that actually people are feeling and the world, we need to make it a safer place. We have to be less judgmental of ourselves. We have to be less judgmental of others. And we have to be able to have a kind and compassionate village instead of one that we believe is judgmental.
0: So trying to step away from the judgment from other people, where can, do you think moms can place themselves to find that support and help
1: yeah um you know i think that i do believe as i give um i know what i just said about the judgmental village but i do think that women find their own support systems um they do find their village it's not always immediate um right. but they do eventually find it um looking for it from the other mommies in your neighborhood um your sister your mother your Sister in law, any of a family member, friends, um, you know, just saying I could use some help will go a long way. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's some wonderful support groups out there, um, and, you know, there's different ones in different neighborhoods, and you can find it. And if you have to go to a few different ones to figure out the one that seems right for you, um, you know, you can do that but look for it. Um, you know, find the support systems, find the support groups, talk to other mommies, talk to your own mother. Um, if you have a, if you have a mother, talk to her. Um, what did she do? How did she get through the hard times? Um, how can you feel less alone? The one thing that I feel like I hear a lot that runs through sort of my conversations with moms, both in my office and in my personal life, it particularly in the first year is loneliness. Mm -hmm. Um, and isolation. And even those moms are out there in the world. They feel like they're, they feel lonely. Um, you know, there's a little bit of mom dating that goes on in the beginning. Like, how do I know if you're going to want to talk to me? How do I know if it's okay to give my phone number? Um, do you want to go for coffee with me? Like, um, you know, there's a little insecurity that you feel, but reach out, you know, even if you feel it. Um, my mother used to say that being brave doesn't mean you're not scared. It just means you do it anyway. And that was something I kept in mind, you know, when I would sit and I would want to give my number to a friend at a Gymboree class. I would think, okay, this is a little bit scary. I haven't dated in a very long time. I don't really know how to do it anymore, but I'm going to try. I'm going to give my phone number to this mom and maybe like we can go for coffee um, and see how that goes. So I do believe that moms find their village. Sometimes it takes time. Um, But it also requires putting yourself out there and, you know, taking some risks. Yeah.
0: I don't think it's a surprise that the mommy and me classes on the hottest days and the coldest days are packed because the women don't want to stay in their house uh, or in their apartment. I made friends through the new mom support group at the yoga studio, No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, but it was interesting. I had a summer baby and a winter baby. And I don't know if you have experience with this. My summer baby, uh, granted, was my first. I just kind of threw him in the bassinet and got out the door. And that was my goal. Just get out the door. With my winter baby, I happened to give birth in a very cold winter that the pediatrician's like, you cannot take this newborn out. And it was really, really hard yeah. that being stuck inside. So I think you know, and I reached out to people. I made people come see me. I packed up their baby adventure and just got out. That's but great. it's feeling isolated that was really hard. And I also knew that, and I hope this helps some of the women out there, they don't have to be your best friends, but I kind of felt like I'm connecting with someone. It could be a stepping stone to either a great relationship or until I meet someone that I have a better connection. But it was just someone to take a walk with and someone besides the cat and the child to talk to.
1: Absolutely. I think that's so right. I mean, if you're lucky and you, if you're lucky, you find a really close friend right away. Um, But many people experience that they, they find someone to push the stroller with. Um, You know, they find someone to sign up for a music class with. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily find someone who's going to be a lifelong friend. And, you know, I think that that's okay. You know, it's okay to have someone to spend to spend time with to keep you company and to get through the hard times. I absolutely, Deb, I totally agree with you that the winter can be a harder time um, because it is harder to get um, to to leave the house. Uh, And many pediatricians recommend that you wait eight weeks until you take your baby out to a place that. Is an indoor place. And so in the summer, you can go out, you could just walk around. And in the winter, you're kind of waiting until that moment. Um, and yeah, when I've led groups, I've led a bunch of mom, new mom groups. And in the winter, I mean, you know, women would come with their babies so bundled and they would walk through snow, like you said, they would walk through snowstorms just to get there because they needed that touch point. They needed that connection. I and we tried to. Yeah, just your baby. Yeah. And I think what you did was great. I love what you did. You know, you had people come to you and it's okay to ask for that. And I think some women have a hard time with that, but it is okay to ask for that.
0: Are some women more at risk for postpartum depression than others? Is it someone like if they already had depression earlier or someone in their family has depression, they predisposed to having postpartum depression?
1: Yeah, um, there are some risk factors for postpartum depression. Uh, people with a history of depression or anxiety um, are more at risk, and this is sort of a lifetime history. Um, it's not sort of a one-time event. Um, people who are socially isolated um, are more at risk than people who are more socially um, in, are, are more socially out there. People in a relationship with a partner who is either not present or abusive are more at risk for postpartum depression who who's who can't rely on their partner to be consistently there for them and then people who have never had any kind of anxiety or depression in their life but who are simultaneously to early motherhood experiencing some other difficult thing that's going on um, maybe some other kind of traumatic life event that's happening like a, a sick relative or a loss of a job or um you know, a move, an unwanted move, um, something that might be triggering to a depression without the new baby as a traumatic
0: birth. Have you seen that lead to
1: things? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Um, Yes, I have actually. Well, um, you know, something really interesting I've seen and I'm glad to talk about a little bit is not just a traumatic birth, but a birth that doesn't go according to plan. Um, You know, so somebody who has, you know, has been to the, who has been to the birth classes and has a very specific idea of what they want to happen. If it doesn't happen that way, um, I have seen a number of women who have experienced some depression, anxiety, some just sort of feelings of failure or feeling like I didn't start out as the mother I wanted. How can I make it up? you know, I'm um, kind of at a disadvantage already.
0: I see um, that a lot. And it's actually something, especially when I was doing doula work, but I see it in the class. It happens too often that the mom will come in and I'm like, how was the birth? And she will kind of say, oh, "It was horrible, but the baby's healthy and I'm, and that's all that matters. And I, I like to try to give the spacing. That's not all that, you know, I say it as eloquently as I can, that, you know, give yourself, give yourself time to digest, If the birth didn't happen, because if you keep invalidating, your feelings are going to manifest. Granted, I'm not trained in this at all, but I I don't want to disregard that the baby's the only thing. Yes, the baby's health, of course, is important. But if the mom feels shamed or pushed into an experience she didn't want or it was just not how she envisioned, it's so often pushed aside. The baby's all that matters. And then the mom doesn't get this chance to process. I see that. So much that they're just trying to convince themselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that um, it's part of that illusion of perfection. Um, And, you know, the baby being healthy and safe and the mom being healthy and safe is clearly the priority, Um, but the experience, the emotional experience of giving birth is also incredibly important, and for whatever reason, um, if it doesn't go the way that the mom sort of wanted it to, they could feel very, they could feel like they failed, they could feel a loss of control, Um, they could feel like, like I said before, like it's setting them up for um, setting them up for being a mom that they don't want to be. Mm-hmm. Not exactly the mom they want to be. And it does require a lot of processing. And I've had a few moms who come to me, not necessarily right away, but maybe when they're pregnant with their second. That's
0: when I see it a lot. I had to do that a lot. Um, I feel really fortunate that I didn't have depression after, but my first birth was very different than I thought. You know, doing this for a living, I thought it would be very quick and easy, and it was not. Um, And I had to process what if it was another long, arduous birth. And I really sat down and talked to my midwife about that to kind of have a a plan of action. Like, if this happens, how am I going to deal instead of close up and freak out? So that's when I also see it with my students that if the first one didn't go quite the way they want, either, one, they're hellbound on making the second one different, or they're just terrified.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's very hard. Um, you know, I think, that, I, I think that motherhood is just a series of it didn't go the way I wanted. Um, you know, <laughs> and it sort of start there. Um, <laughs> uh, it's like, you know, all these good intentions that just don't go according to plan. Um, and you have to shift and adapt and be flexible. And that flexibility is not always easy for people. Um, but there's a lot of that in motherhood.
0: Yeah, I don't think it ends. I think my mom no,
1: would it's say not- that about my relationship with her. Absolutely, <laughs> exactly. Right. I mean, I remember fighting my mom about my wedding because she wanted to look one way and I wanted to look a different way. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't end. So motherhood
0: in general, let the <laughs> expectations
1: go. I think
0: that could be our, our kind of our tagline.
1: It's learn to be flexible. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard and. You know, I think that it starts with that birth. Um, and actually, I, I don't think it starts with the birth. I'm going to take that back. It starts with trying to get pregnant. Um, it really starts with trying to get pregnant. For a very lucky few, they decide, okay, I'm going to try to get pregnant, and they get pregnant. But for most people, it's a series of disappointments. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. You know, like I was just looking And I found that, one of the facts, about half of women who later were diagnosed with postpartum depression actually experienced symptoms during and even before pregnancy. Yeah. And I was surprised. I also found that one in seven women experienced postpartum depression. That's a lot. Yeah. It's much more common than I think we realize.
1: I think you're right. I think it's more common than we realize. It really is something that people want to keep under wraps. Um, It's so loaded for people where they feel like, They have, I mean, women who have, are on the other side of postpartum depression, it takes them a very long time to sort of grieve their, the early baby experience where they felt like they weren't connected in the way they wanted to be. And it takes a very long time for them to sort of be able to look back at that time with compassion for themselves and without judgment. Yeah. I
0: have a friend, um, a different friend than the one I spoke of earlier who I interviewed for an article I wrote and she said she actually grieves the lost time she had with her twins because she was in such a funk. She barely remembers it, but she's so sad. She doesn't have a lot of memory those first six weeks.
1: Yeah.
0: Do you have um, any final tips for women? So we already talked about seeking support, making sure the partner
1: understands and recognizes other ideas. Yeah. I mean, my big takeaway is always have compassion for yourself Um, as much as you can. And it's so much easier said than done. But if you need to do that exercise that I was just talking about by yourself, like imagine your friend telling you what you're sort of thinking about yourself and ask yourself, would I be judging that person or would I have empathy for them? Would I have compassion for them? It's sometimes it's easier to look outside yourself, Um, but try to have compassion. Know that perfection is an illusion. Um, Don't put too much stock and in the mommy books, you know, they all, they have mommy blogs (laughs) and the mommy blogs. They have great words of wisdom, but know that your baby is not a robot and neither are you. And it's okay if you know, they're not doing exactly what it says that they should be doing. Um, I have a whole bunch of, oh, uh, trust your instincts. I think that women have stopped trusting themselves. You know, there's so much information and there's so many people out there that we can ask for advice. And that's great. But also we know more than we think we know. Um, So trust yourself. Um, I have a whole bunch of mommy mantras that I know that I repeated when I was a new mom. And I like to tell people the first of which I think is the most important, which is nothing lasts forever. For better or worse, everything happening in the, those first few weeks or for first few months and even first few years is temporary. Um, so I say for better or worse because sometimes it feels like, you know, that flexibility that we were just talking about, sometimes it feels like just when we get into a groove and things are kind of easy or working, all of a sudden like the schedule changes where, you know, something is new. So that that's the part that's hard. But the good part is that, everything changes. So if you, you know, if the schedule at the moment is a three is, you know, four wake ups in the middle of the night, then that's not going to last forever. You know, so, and your mood won't always, won't last forever. So whatever you're experiencing the overwhelm, the guilt, the sadness, the anxiety, the worry, it will pass. It's, Uncomfortable and it's painful while you're living it, but it doesn't last forever. So that's my big one. Nothing lasts forever. Um, Another one of my mommy mantras that I love and I said to myself over and over again is no one thing is everything. So give yourself a break. If your baby doesn't nap once, it will be okay. It's just a nap. Even if it means that the rest of that day is chaotic, it's just a day. It's not forever. Um, and no one, nothing lasts forever. And no one thing is everything. Same with the feeding. No one, no one thing is everything. Um, and then this is one for you and your partner. No good decisions are made in the middle of the night. So <laughs> whatever you're trying to do with your baby, <laughs> whatever you're trying to do sleep wise, make the decision before you go to bed. Because in the middle of the night, everything looks worse. I remember one day, my husband and I had sort of a groove in my first, where I went to sleep at like nine right after one of the feeds, and he had her until about midnight, and then I'd wake up again and do the next feed, Um, and most of the time... You know, I'd feel him get to bed around 10:30, 11. And one night I woke up and it was like closer to 1 and he still wasn't there. And I went into his I went into her room and I mean, I can't describe what my husband looked like, and he's going to be so mad at me for talking about it, but he looked at me, and he said to me, how is her brain going to grow if she won't ever sleep, (laughs) and I was like, you're out, you know, tag out, I'm in, Um, no good decision, everything looks worse in the middle of the night, and good decisions aren't made then, so, you know, that's my story about how, you know, you start to sort of Lose your rational thinking in the middle of the night, and for us it, it was early enough in the parenthood that I actually could laugh at him. but there were other times where i'm sure I would have just joined him with the in that sort of on that uh, in down that rabbit hole, but in that moment, I was able to laugh at him, but there were lots of times in the middle of the night where you know you and your partner are at it with each other you're fighting you're disagreeing or you're sort of had planned to do one thing and then you're changing it up in the night try not to do that
0: yeah I woke my husband <laughs> up one night with this whole revelation of like this is what we have to do for sleep training he was right. dead asleep at like three thirty in the morning and I had decided what we needed to do then and there and yes. I realized later um not the best decision <laughs> and Decisions, yeah, should not be made, nor should even conversations really happen.
1: Not really, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Except for, like, okay, you need to sleep, and I'm going to take over for now. <laughs> yeah, no, there,
0: I tried to have bigger life conversations because okay. in my mind I had gone there. Yeah, but you're right. At night, just quiet it down, go to
1: sleep. Just quiet it down. And, you know, it's survival. It's survival mode in the beginning. You do get through it, but you do have to look at it as that, um, you know, you're trying to get through something. Um, and it's great if you can help each other through it, you and your partner.
0: Those are fantastic tips. Is there any way that people can find you either online? Um, because you know, a podcast goes everywhere. Um, obviously, not everyone can go to you. But what's the best way for people to find you, or if they are in the New York City area and want to reach out to you?
1: Sure. Um, in the New York City area, you could total you could absolutely find me. I'm on the Upper West Side. Um, my I have a website, NYCMomSupport.com. Um, my Can I give you my email address? Is that sure. Okay? You know how to give it I- out. Okay, my email is mcanarick, C-A-N-A-R-I-C-K dot P-H-D at com. And I'll have all
0: this in the show notes, too, so those that are listening that really resonate with Michelle and want to continue a conversation with her, you can read the show notes and reach out to her, because she really is a wealth of knowledge. And I want to get you back on for the workshop that I attended with you about the baby-proofing your marriage, because okay. that is – that's a – big can of worms to open.
1: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I just want to say one other thing. If you're not in the New York City area and you feel like you or a friend or a partner are experiencing postpartum depression, I found a great website called postpartumprogress.com, and it actually had a list, a state-by-state list of um, places and people to see if if you have postpartum. So clinics or doctors' offices or hospitals that you can go to that deal specifically with postpartum. Okay, awesome. So if you're not in the New York City area and you can't reach out to me, um, you you have that website, and I'll give it to you, Deb, and you can put it in the notes too.
0: Wonderful. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, your energy. I really appreciate it, and I can't wait to chat with you again. And thank you, listeners, for listening today. And if you have a moment, please go over to iTunes and rate and review us. That way people can find us and we can continue to help inspire and empower women through their pregnancy and their motherhood. So signing off for now, and we'll see you again. Thanks, Michelle. Take care. Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I
1: have to say? Yes, you do.